You know, there's many statements that float around the church, many statements that we, we as Christians make that uh, we believe are biblical statements. We believe that they even find their source in the Bible, um, but they're really, they're really not there. One statement that we might often say is, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. Many would believe that that is a statement that comes from the Bible, but really that's a famous uh, statement that was often repeated by Abraham, Abraham Lincoln. It was popularized by an English poet, Edward Fitzgerald. Now we know that this life is but a vapor and one day we'll um, be with the Lord, those of us that are in Christ, but that statement is not found in the Bible. Another statement that we often say that we might think comes from Scripture is God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. And the reality is that statement isn't biblical and it's really, really not true. What is true is that God will not give you more than He can handle. Oftentimes we go through circumstances just like Job and instead of relying on our own power and strength because we can't do anything in and of ourselves, we have to rely on God. Another statement that people often say is, to thine own self be true. That statement actually comes from Hamlet by Shakespeare. We might often say, follow your, your heart. But the Bible says exactly opposite of that because your heart is desperately, desperately wicked. Who shall know it? The truth is, is we should not follow our heart, but follow the Word of God. A real popular statement is, and sorry moms, cleanliness is next to godliness. Now there are a lot of references to cleanliness in the Mosaic Law, and there were uh, rituals and ceremonial cleanings and those type of things, but as you go through Scripture, you'll never find that statement. It was written by um, Francis Bacon, and it was popularized and changed by that uh, Methodist preacher, John Wesley, who changed it into that um, statement, cleanliness is next to godliness, and even began to preach sermons on it. But probably one of the most popular ones in our world today is God helps those who help themselves. There's a great debate on where that statement comes from, but it was popularized by Ben Franklin in 1757 in the Poor Richard's Almanac. And can I say, if there was ever a phrase that Christians should remove from their minds, it's the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. The truth is, God helps those who cannot help themselves. And as we look at John chapter 5, we're going to see the omnipotence of God, the fact that He is all-powerful, and the fact that man is impotent or has, is helpless and needs the help of God. So in John chapter 5, let's turn our attention there. The first thing I want you to see is the, the situation. The first thing we see is the situation. Look with me. In verse 1, the Bible says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. 
We see that after this, after this, the feast, there was a feast of the Jews. This was after the healing of the nobleman's son. Remember with me to chapter 4, Jesus had gone back to Galilee and he was approached by this nobleman, this nobleman whose son was sick and he told him to go and your son will be healed. And the man left believing by faith and went back and found that truly at the time that Jesus spoke that the son was, was healed. And after this happened, some time has passed by. A lot of times we'll read scripture and we'll think like, okay, this is the day after, but that's really not true. What we find here is we find we're we're at the beginning of the second year of Jesus' public ministry, and he's back now in Jerusalem for a feast. If you'll remember with me, there are three annual feasts that the Jewish um, men or the families would travel back to Jerusalem to um, adhere to or recognize. And Jesus is now back uh, at a feast. It was either Passover, Pentecost, or Tabernacles. Um, we don't know what feast he was there for at this time. Many speculate, but we really, we don't, really don't know which one and what time of year this was. But we find that Jesus went back up to Jerusalem. Anytime that you see um, somebody going to Jerusalem, they're always going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was traveling from Galilee in the north down south to Jerusalem, but when you travel up to Jerusalem, it's because Jerusalem is a city on a hill, and you're always ascending up to that city. And we see here in these verses that there was a sheep market or a gate, and at this gate or this market, there was a pool that had five porches. It's interesting They have found this place through archaeological digs, and you can go there today, and you can find the the five porches that are referenced here um, in in Scripture. Bethesda, that word there means house of mercy, and I think that's significant for, for our story or for our sermon here today. But we see here in this passage that many sick, in verse number three, and these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. We see here many sick people that were waiting for something to happen. And I think it's interesting that as Jesus comes back to this city, back to Jerusalem, he makes his way here to this place where there are diseased, there are sick, there are helpless people. Remember, one of the great overarching things of Scripture is that Jesus came to serve not to be ministered unto. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And so he comes to Jerusalem, he makes his way to this pool, and he's interacting amongst this this crowd of of people. Now there is a a debate, there is a question unto really what was happening here at this pool. Um, Many of the modern versions of Scripture do not have the end of verse 3 or verse 4 there um, in Scripture. There's a question. Many of the older manuscripts that we get our scriptures from do not have those verses referenced there. And so some believe that somewhere around 300 or 400, there was a scribe that that wanted to clarify the passage. And so he added those words in because if you'll look with me, verse 7, it says, The impotent man answers, Sir, I am... I have no man when the water is troubled. And so in order to give commentary as what was going on here, uh, they, they added these words to, there in verse 3 and, and all of verse number 4. We don't know what it was like or what was really going on. Some believe there was an underground spring that would come up once a year, and, and the people believed that this spring had healing waters, and so it would begin to bubble up, and, and people would fight to get into the spring. Some believe that there was an actual divine intervention, and there was an angel that, that came, and whoever was able to get into the water first 
would actually physically be healed. I don't really know what was going on, but the point of the story is not how the pool worked or how the water worked, but how Jesus worked. We need to get our attention off of the, the physical circumstances to what God really wants us to see in the working of our Savior. Now, there were all these sick people looking for help. And there was one particular man that was there. Verse 4, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Now, we're given a picture here of this man that was helpless. Helpless for... 38 years. You know, this picture of this man is really a picture of you and me. Here is a helpless man. And so is true of each of us in our sinfulness. We truly are helpless. But the description here of these people physically, literally give us a picture of our lives without Jesus Christ. They were, they were impotent. They were helpless. They were without power and ability. They were blind. They were withered. They were halt. There were people that had no power and ability of themselves to get this healing. The description of these people really is a mirror that we can look in spiritually. We try, but we can't save ourselves. We're blind to spiritual things. But here is a little literal man that has no hope of getting healed. He's had this issue for 38 years, and now we see that he's been at this pool a long time. This man was there, which had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie, he knew, he knew that he had been now a long time in that case. And he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Jesus looks at this man, and he sees his issue, and he knows what this man needs. We'll come back to that thought in just a moment. Look with me at verse 9. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. That, that statement there is going to be very interesting. And, and, and we need to understand why that is mentioned there. Remember, Jesus had done multiple miracles up to this point. He, he did the, the, um, the water into wine. He healed the nobleman's son. And these were miracles that were kind of semi-private. Not too many people were around in and, and small groups, and there was really no, no big deal publicly. But now the Bible tells us that Jesus comes and does this work on the Sabbath. And what is happening is Jesus is now going to become or to have contention with the religious leaders or the Pharisees of that day. And so now there's going to be this antagonism between Jesus and these Pharisees and religious leaders that we're going to see end in the crucifixion of our Savior. But I want you to see as we finish up point number one on the situation. Jesus, the Bible says in verse 6, saw him lie. He knew that he had been there now a long time, and he saith unto him, Jesus saw him. Jesus knew him, and Jesus spoke to him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Jesus sees us where we are in our sinfulness. It was while we were yet sinners that Christ 
who saw our condition, and the Bible says that he knows us. He knows our hearts. We, we can hide ourselves and, and put on a facade outwardly, but Jesus knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. And then the Bible says he spoke. He spoke to him. God has given us his word to share with us the message of salvation. Through his word and then through his spirit, he speaks to each one of us. That brings us to our second point then today. We see the question in verse number six. Jesus is around all of these, all of these helpless people. All of these people are looking for healing and, and, and wanting to have their need taken care of. In verse six, the Bible says, when Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had been there now a long time in that case, and he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? When Jesus asks him this question, it's not to, to get information. Many times he asks questions in Scripture to get people to, to think and to, to contemplate maybe their, their situation or their need. But isn't it interesting that his answer goes right to, right to the negative? Notice what the man says. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. Many times people see the obstacles in every situation. We all know people like that. You want to do something, you want to get something accomplished, and they're so pessimistic. It's always why we can't do it, why this can't happen, what might go wrong if we do this. And those are the people that are just sitting in the background, doing nothing, accomplishing nothing in their life. Many times we look at our own lives that way. Look at how I'm just a terrible person. I'm sinful. And Jesus didn't ask the man, do you have the ability to, to get into the water? He said, listen, do you want to be made whole? You know, many people don't want to be saved. Many people don't believe that they, they even have a need in our world today. Many people know that they are sinners, but they love their, their sinful life. You go out into the community and, and you begin to ask people if they want to be saved, and that's a foreign term to them. Well, what do I need to be saved from? I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. I, I have finances, and I have a home, and everything in my life is good. I'm, I'm good to go. I'm okay. And so I have no need. Other people, you ask them the same question and say, they say, well, you just don't know how terrible I am. Uh, you don't know what kind of sinner I am, what I've done in my life, and there's no way that anybody could save me. There's no, no way that anybody could love me, let alone a, a holy God. You know, we ask people that question all the time, come, why do you come to church? Well, you would think people come to church because, number one, they would need to be saved. Number two, they want to worship God or glorify God. But people go to church for all kinds of reasons in our society today, and none of them are right or biblical. They come to church for, uh, out of guilt, or they come to church out of uh, requirement, or they come to church because they feel like um, they're, they're doing the right and the moral, the moral thing. But do you want what God wants for you in your life? Many people come because they want something, they want something physically. But Jesus asks us, man, do you want to be made whole? And we have to ask ourselves today, do we want to be saved? Or if you are saved, do I want what God wants for me in my life? Jesus came to give life, eternal life, spiritual life, and he came to give us abundant life. You know, we look at this life and, and we often want what it has to offer. We, also, we, we think maybe that God just, just gets in the way. 
And, you know, if I serve God, if I go to church, and there's going to be accountability and responsibility, and I'm not going to be able to do the things that I want to do. And Jesus simply asked this man, do you want to be made whole? Do you want what God has for you? In this passage, we see God's act of seeking out this man for healing, but we also see this man's responsibility when Jesus asked the man, will you, will you be made whole? Look at verse 24, if you would, there in John chapter 5. We'll come back to this in a few weeks, but I want you to see this. Verily, verily, Jesus says, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He that hears my word and believes, God draws us to himself. God uses the preaching of his word and, and the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict us and to draw, him, draw us to himself. But we must believe. Salvation is a work of God, but he will not violate our free will. And so his question here, or this man's answer to the question, reveals a lot to us. He says there, I have no man. He, he needed help. But he didn't understand the help that he needed. And so many of us find ourselves in that same boat. We, we all need help. You know, if I just had more money, my life would be better. Because then I could pay for gas and then I could get to church, right? I mean, that's where we're at in our world today. If I just had better health, if I just had more money, if I had people around me that liked me and cared for me. We're looking to men and to people and the, to the things of the society for help. When God asks us the question, do you want to be made whole? Well, of course, I want my life to be better. I want, but we want in our own power, in our own strength, and in our own way because we're so earthly focused. And that's what the man says when Jesus asks him this question. Do you want to be made whole? I, I have nobody. And listen, every time the waters are troubled, I start making my way over there and people are running past, jumping over me, and nobody's here to help me. Sometimes we can get that way in life. Nobody cares. Nobody here, here to help. Because we're only focused on what other people are doing for us. Instead of understanding who God is. And the fact that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so Jesus asked this man, will you be made whole? And verse 7, the impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man whether the water is troubled, to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And what he's saying is nobody cares. Nobody cares. So then that brings us to number three, the command. The command. In verse number eight, Jesus says unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. He really gives him three commands here in this passage. First, he tells him to rise. Then he tells him to take up his bed. And then he tells him to walk. God commands him to do that. And the Bible tells us that immediately, immediately the man was made whole. The man responded. You know, I can picture the man sitting there. He's not been able to walk. We assumed that he was lame and that was the issue and because uh, he wasn't able to walk down into the water and he couldn't get down there. And so you can picture this man who's laying there, has this issue for 38 years. And Jesus says, rise up. 
many of us, you know, we say, who are you? You're crazy. Don't you know my situation? Don't you know the problem I've had? My legs, they don't work. There's no way that I'm going to, to get up and do this. And sometimes we look at what we view as impossible. And listen, it is impossible in our own flesh. We can't help ourselves, but all things are possible with God. And so he looks at this man and he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the Bible says immediately the man, the man was made whole. The man responded, I can picture him giving up, or getting up, excuse me, getting up and bending over and picking up his bed and, and taking, those, taking those first steps. You remember when, you, when your kids were little? Some of you are in that stage now. We call them toddlers, right? Because they, I guess because they wobble, toddle around maybe, that's why, right? And so, you know, they, they get up and you watch that first step and, and they take one step and then they fall over, right? And then you watch a few weeks later, they take three or four steps, maybe five steps, and then they fall over. And it's wobbly. Or if you've ever been on a farm and you have a, a new animal that's born and, and they go to stand up. I've never been there. I've only seen it on TV because I don't want to be there for that. But, you know, they stand up and, and you watch them wobble around and the horse or whatever it is. And, and they just wobble and they have no strength in their legs. And, and listen, that was not the situation, I picture this man getting up, strengthening his legs, picking up his bed and just marching away and just taking off and just walking. You know, God never commands us to do something without giving us the ability to do it. God never commands us to do something without giving us the ability to do it. And, and, and one important verse in Scripture, Acts chapter 17, verse 30, the Bible says, God commands all people everywhere to repent. God commands all people everywhere to, to turn from their sin and believe on Jesus Christ. We see this man did not need help to get up and walk. He didn't need therapy. He didn't need medicine. He didn't need to go work out. He was just simply able to get up and walk. Many times people think, I need to fix myself before I can go to church. I need to fix myself before I can get saved, and get right with God. My friend, you can't do it in your own power and your own strength, but God can do the work in your life. And he's telling you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believe on him. God says, come unto me. God says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we could do nothing for ourselves, God sent Jesus Christ to be the payment for our sin. The truth is, God knows who you are, he sees you. God knows what your need is. He knows what you're going through in life. And he says, he speaks, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This man is an amazing picture of the world, of the world that we live in. God's gospel Christ's gospel can do a work that we cannot do. And that's the message that God is asking each one of us. Do you want what I can do for you? Now we'll see in the coming weeks as we come back to this passage, the man gets up and, and he walks away. I believe at this point he has no idea who Jesus is. He has no idea what's, what's really going on. And we'll see that he'll come back and figure all of, 
figure all of this out. But God asked him this question, do you want to be made whole? And really, that's the question that we have to ask ourselves, no matter what you're going through today. Listen, if if you're not a Christian here today, do you want to be saved? Do you want to be right with God? Do you want to be a part of his family? Then believe on Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin and trust him as your Savior. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today. For those of us that are Christians here today, do you want what God wants for you in your life? Many of you are graduating. We just celebrated you, and you're going you're gonna to go off, and, and you're going to go to college, or you're going to start a career and, or take that next step in life. And many of you are dealing with things at home and dealing with things at work. Do you want what God wants for you in your life? Well, yeah, I want, I want my family to be what God wants it to be. Then follow biblical principles. Yeah, well, that kind of stifles our life. We don't really, we want what God, we want God's blessings, but we don't really want to follow his, his word, his, his command. The guy could have looked at Jesus when Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? And he's like, well, yeah, I do, but I don't want it your way. I don't want it your way. I want to go into the pool. I don't want to stand up and walk because you told me to. I, I want to, to, to jump into the pool and, and be healed miraculously. You know, it's amazing how often we want what God wants. We say we want what God wants for us, but we want it in our own power and our own strength. We want it in our own will because we believe that we know what's best. We believe the pool is better than the Word of God. We believe the water is better than what Christ has to say. And so instead of saying, God, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow your command. I'm going to follow your will. We're going to sit here and wait. We're going to sit here and wait until somebody will pick us up and put us, put us in the water. Jesus' command was to take, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He hadn't been able to do that for 38 years. And immediately, he stood up and did it. He received the blessings that Christ was offering to him. Our perspective has to get off of the water, the world, and get into the Word. 